Well, everyone know what time, it, uh, what time of year it is? All right, you about four of you there. You guys ready for Christmas yet? Okay. Well, I got good news and I got bad news. All right, here's the good news, kiddies. Good news, 23 days until Christmas. Come on, yeah! Uh, the bad days, the bad news is that there's 22 days until Christmas Eve, dads, for you to finish buying all your presents. <laughs> all right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. However you read your Bible today, we're going to read the story. Over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to read the story of Christmas. We're going to talk about the, the birth narrative the, the events surrounding the Christmas story, and how it applies to you and I today. You know, the fact is every one of us in this room has a story. Our life has a story. And what we're going to see is how our story intersects with God's story. And when our life intersects with God's story, it gives us a God story, and we can tell his story. So I want you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while, they were, that while there the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger, because there was no room. Everyone say, no room. There was no room for them in the end. This morning, I want to speak to you on this idea, making room for Jesus this Christmas, making room for Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful sense of your presence that we've experienced in worship. There was just such a sweet, tangible reality that you were alive and real. And we just, we, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the grace that you've extended to us that's called us by name, that we can receive that love and forgiveness and hope that only you offer this Christmas. Lord, for every person in this room, I pray that you'll give them a spiritual ear to hear. God, that you'll give them spiritual eyes to see, not my words, God, but your words. Lord, I pray that you'll give me a mouth to speak clearly. Lord, the things that you want me to say, I ask this now, Jesus, in your wonderful and your mighty and your powerful name as we celebrate your birth this Christmas season. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. You know, when you look back over your life, when you look back over maybe your Christmas times, you probably have a, a couple of stories that stand out. I mean, a couple of Christmas experiences that really, like, you could look back and say, man, that was a really cool Christmas experience. Now I'm 55 years of age, so I've had a lot of Christmas experiences. But I can tell you the ones that have had the greatest impact were some, the ones that were just a little bit unusual. Well, we had an unusual Christmas experience as a family, Christmas Day, 1999. 
It was our second year of living here in Central Florida. And I, and I, you know, we came from the Northwest, and it was way colder at Christmas time. I do remember specifically this Christmas hoping that I'd wake up to have a little bit of a chill in the air, but it wasn't a chill. It was a heat wave. It was like 80 degrees on Christmas morning. I remember turning our air conditioning down to 60 degrees and throwing a log in the fireplace just to kind of pretend like we had a little Christmas atmosphere. I got a call from my sister. And she said, there's a family that might show up at your house on Christmas Day. Now, you know, Christmas Day, we've all got our plans, and we do our little family thing. And, and you know, this was our second year, so we were getting kind of our, our traditions worked to how we were going to do Christmas here in Central Florida. But, uh, but this family actually showed up. I want to put a picture up here. This family showed up at our house on Christmas morning. Now, it's very unique about this family. This is uh, the Chicani family. This is Risto, the dad. This is Violsa, the mom. And there's five kids. I'm going to see if I can get all their names here. There's, this is Amanuela. This is Nartila. This is Vanjola. This is Alfona. And this is Kevin. Come on, I did good there, right? I got all five names. This family is from Albania. They had moved from Albania. They actually had, uh, Albania was the last communist country that the old Soviet Union still had a foothold in. And when the Soviet Empire fell apart, th this country eventually started to let people travel, and they moved. They called it the lottery. They actually won like a ticket that allowed them to move from Albania to the United States of America. When they landed in this country, they didn't speak a word of English. And the way that they got introduced to our family was in a very unusual way that uh, my sister, one of my sisters who was living in Seattle at the time, was driving downtown and she saw this mom, she saw Viosa with these five kids standing in the rain. And my sister just, you know, I mean, her heart was touched. She saw this mom, no umbrella, soaking wet. She pulls over, she picks this family up. And from that day, this family became part of our family. And what was very interesting, I don't know how this happened, but they made a decision. They didn't tell us that they were going to leave Seattle and move to Central Florida. They show up in Central Florida on Christmas Day. They actually slept in their minivan, the whole, all seven of them, Christmas Eve. They waited to Christmas morning when my sister called me. I guess they must have contacted her, called me and said, the Chicani family is right outside your front door. Now there's seven people. And we had a decision to make as a family. In that moment, we made a decision that we were going to make room for this family on Christmas Day. And just as God would have it. My wife is always buying Christmas presents or buying different gifts and stuff. She just happened to have a couple of extra Barbies that she hadn't given away. And so real quickly, man, she wrapped the Barbies up, and we took poor Keenan. He was about the same age as Kevin right there. We stole a few gifts from Kevin and we, from Keenan, and we put Kevin's name on them. And I gave Rayston one of my gifts, and, and my wife gave, you know, Viosa something from her. And we brought this family in, and we celebrated Christmas. And for the next many, many years, every Christmas and Thanksgiving, we would celebrate this family with this family, those special holidays I look back at that time, and all that, we've had a lot of wonderful times and wonderful experiences, but this particular Christmas, when we made room for this family, stands out as a hallmark in our life. You know, this Christmas, this Christmas season, as we start off this series on the story, I want to challenge everyone in this room to make room for Jesus, to make room for Jesus. But in order to do that, you got to allow God to bring unusual people into your life.
You have to make room for the unusual people that God is going to use in your life. I want to look at our story. I want to start with verse number one. Can you put verse number one back up on the screen for me? I want you to see this here. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. Uh, he became emperor. He, he was adopted by a man by the name of Julius Caesar. You may have heard of Julius Caesar before. He's famous in world history. Caesar Augustus, they say, was probably the most powerful, most influential, and the greatest emperor that Rome ever had. He ruled for about 40 years. He was very shrewd. He was very shrewd. He, he was a political strategist. The Roman Empire at this time was about 100 of the 300 million people were under Roman influence. And Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man in the world. It just so happened that he issues a decree that all the world should be censused. Now, now, when you read this story, a lot of people, maybe you have friends that don't believe in God or they don't really believe in the Bible what the writer is telling us here, and the writer is a man by the name of Luke. He is a, a physician or a doctor. And what, what Luke is wanting everyone to know, and specifically the person that he's writing to, he's writing to a Greek man by the name of Theophilus. And he's wanting Theophilus to know, listen, the fact is the life of Jesus is based in historical reality. And here are some of the events that were taking place around the time of his birth. And just at this time in human history, listen, Caesar had no thought of the prophet Micah, which we're going to read in just a moment. He had no, pro he had no thought of this couple, this little Jewish couple here in, in, in Nazareth, uh, this woman giving birth to a child. It was the farthest thing from his reality. But God had another plan. God had another plan. And what I want you to see today, I want you to see this morning two things about how God uses people in our life. First of all, God is directly involved in who becomes the leaders of nations. God is directly involved in those who become the leaders of nations. Daniel Chapter 2, Daniel is writing about it during the time where he served a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He was a very powerful leader. And, and Daniel understands his role and his service to this king. And this is what Daniel says about governors and those who are in leadership positions on planet earth. Then Daniel prays the God of heaven. He says a bunch of other things in verse 18 and 19 and 20. And then he says in verse 21, he controls God. Yahweh controls the course of world events. He removes kings and he sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. God controls the course of world events. Not only does God not only does God control who is in power, God controls the decisions that those leaders make who are in power. Proverbs chapter 21 verse number 1 says it like this, the king's heart is like a stream of water. The king's heart is like a stream or like a river of water. There are great rivers in the world. There's the Nile River in Egypt. There's the Amazon River in, in, in the south part of America. 
There's the great Columbia, the mighty river in the northwest. And men have tried to control these rivers, and they've done a pretty good job. But the one thing that men can't do, they can't control the heart of those who are in leadership and the decisions that they make. But the Bible says the heart of the king is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. He guides it wherever he pleases. Using this man, Caesar Augustus, in this day and this time is really an unusual way for God to move. But what, what Luke wants Theophilus to know is that when the human history and God's history collide, that it's always God's purposes and plans that prevail. Even the decision of the king is directed by God. In your life, in my life today, we must understand the things that take place in our lives are not coincidence. There's no such thing as coincidence. God has sovereignly allowed certain events and circumstances to take place so that ultimately his purposes and plans can be filled, fulfilled on planet earth. When we were in Israel just a couple of months ago, on our flight over, we sat next to a man. He was from Houston. He was a, a very uh, uh, devout, a very devoted Jewish man. And he began to tell us his story, how he ended up in America. His family was still in Israel, and he was sharing his story, how he was you know, living in Houston and the things that had happened in his life. And he began to talk about Israel his homeland, and he was so excited that we were going to, going to go to his place of birth and where he was from. But he said, I want you to know, he said, Israel has always not been the nation that it is today. He said, do you know that Israel is a fulfillment of prophetic prophecies that took place in the book of Isaiah? He said, in 1948, he said, Israel became a nation. And he said, the only reason, now I know all this, I, I'm a student of history, I was very familiar with Israel's history, but I let him tell the story. And with so much joy in his heart, he began to tell us how Israel became a nation. But here's what he said. He said, the only reason that we became a nation is because we as a people went through tremendous pain, tremendous suffering, and tremendous loss. Because in the 1930s and the 1940s, Nazi Germany wiped out over 6 million Jewish people in Eastern Europe. The atrocities of World War II is what opened the door for the nations of the world to open their heart to allow Israel to become a nation again. Over almost 3,000 years of human history, Israel had not been a nation. But because of the pain and the atrocities and the tragedies that took place under Nazi Germany, the world opened their heart. And the prophetic promise that God would have a people who would live in Israel, who would be his, was going to be fulfilled. He said, sometimes God allows pain in our life. This is what he's telling us. Here's a Jewish man. He's telling, sometimes God allows pain like he did Joseph. Things that he, he, Joseph didn't understand. He, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He ended up in a man's house by the name of Potiphar where he became inf very influential, but, <clears throat> but he was lied about and accused of rape by his wife and thrown into prison. And there in prison, he found himself again because he understood that God was at work in his life using unusual circumstances and people. He understood. He understood that God was at work in his life. And the Bible says that he went from prison and he found himself in the palace of Egypt. 
And when his brothers, many years later, stood before him, not knowing that this was their brother Joseph that they had sold into slavery some 13 years before, when he looks them in the eye and he finally reveals himself to them, he says, listen, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good so that many can be saved. Come on, give God a big hand. If we're going to make room for Jesus this Christmas, we must open our heart to God using unusual people and circumstances in our life. I mean, their lives were upside down. This little couple, just think about this little couple. In history, we don't know exactly how old Mary was. She was probably 14 or 15 years of age. Most scholars believe she was a very young lady. The whole story of her pregnancy is complicated. It doesn't happen that way, right? It's, it's not the natural way that someone gets pregnant. So people just don't get pregnant by God, by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit of God came and, 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 and pregnated Mary. And Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph made a decision that they were going to follow the edict of the Caesar. Because what they knew was that God's ways were above their ways. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to put the verse up on the screen, but Isaiah 55, the Bible says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God had a word to fulfill. God had a promise to fulfill through his son Jesus. And God would use these unusual circumstances, an unusual person to accomplish his purpose on planet earth. The second thing this morning that we must see, that if we're going to make room for for Jesus this Christmas, is we must trust in God's providential guidance. We must trust in God's providential guidance. The concept of the word providence literally means the foresight or care provided by God for all people. The foresight or care provided by God for all people. God had a mission. God had a purpose. And God had a plan that he was going to accomplish through his son Jesus. And it was the providential hand of God that allowed these circumstances to come to this place at this time in human history. I want you to look at verse number three and four with me. The Bible says, and everyone went to their own town to register. This is really fascinating. I, I, I mean, I, as I started diving into this story, there was so much that just became so real to me about the understanding how the Jewish people think about their genealogies. If you were to look at the the, the account of Jesus' birth in the book of Matthew, we see that they trace Jesus' life all the way back to Adam. And what we see here is that Joseph, this man Joseph, knew 39 generations back that his great-great-great-grandfather was a man by the name of David. Can you imagine this? 50 million, 70 million people all at the same time leaving where they were living and going back to their hometown. Maybe you have a story at Christmas of going back to where you're from. I remember as a college student, one of my heart's desires was to go back to be with my family at Christmas, and and it just wasn't possible. I didn't have the resources, and I didn't have the funds. and, And I was praying, God, I'd really like to be with my family. I was living in Portland. And I remember I get a phone call from my sister, and she bought a plane ticket for me so that I could come home at Christmas. That was another very special Christmas in my life. There's something about wanting to go home. 
Joseph was commanded by Caesar to go back to his family. And the Bible says that Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee in Judea to the town of Bethlehem, the place of David, because he belonged to the house of David. God had a promise that he wanted to fulfill. You see, for eight, 800 years before the Messiah was to be born, 800 years before Jesus entered into this world through Mary's birth canal, God said through the prophet Micah, I want you to see this verse in Micah chapter 5. God said, but you Bethlehem, you Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient of times. Eight hundred years before Jesus would enter onto planet earth. God had a word. God had a word through a prophet that he had to fulfill. And God arranged the events of human history so that this promise could take place. All throughout scripture we see the promise of God regarding the fulfillment of Jesus' coming to planet earth. In Isaiah chapter 7, the Bible says that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Look at this. The Bible says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, the God who is with us. He's not a God who is just out there. He's not a God to whom it may concern. He's the God who is with us. When you're walking through the shadow of the valley of death, when you're going through the struggles and the, and the complexities and the difficulties of your life, there is a God that was promised. Come on, there was a God that was promised who would come, who would be born of a virgin, and his name was Emmanuel, the God who was with us. But not only would he be born of a virgin, the Bible tells us that he would be born of the house of David. Look at Isaiah. Look at the next verse here. And Isaiah, could you put the next verse up? Isaiah 11. The Bible says, And there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And finally, the Bible promises, the, the Bible promises that this Jesus would be born in Bethlehem the house of bread, the place of provision. You see, Jesus came to this earth to provide life for you and I. He's El Bethel. He's the God who is your source. In the course of human events, when things are happening in your life that you don't understand, you have to believe that the promises of God are yes and amen for them that believe. Over 3,000 scriptures in the Bible are God's promises to you and I. Maybe you have an absence of peace. Maybe you're feeling in your heart today, Christmas is such a struggle and there's so many complexities and difficulties in our family and you're lacking peace in this season. I want you to the Lord give strength to his people, the Bible declares, and he blesses his people with peace. Maybe it's provision today. Maybe you're in a season of lack. I want you to hear the promise of God for you today. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, but my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He's your peace today. He's your provider today. He's your protector today. When you need direction and you don't know which way you should go, when you're not sure if you should take this job or walk through this door or go this direction of your life, I want you to hear what the Bible declares. 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with you, counsel you with my loving eyes. Come on, let's give God a great big hand today. Oh, so many promises. The providence of God, you must trust in your life today, even when you don't understand. Even when you don't understand. Do you think it was easy for Joseph and Mary to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem? I know we got this image in our mind. You know, you see the little Charlie Brown cartoon, or, you know, you got some kind of kids' play that takes place on Sunday morning, and Mary comes riding in on a little donkey. You know, when you read the story, there's no donkey. I mean, come on, women, you're in the room, you've given birth to a child before. You're in the last trimester. You're in the last two weeks of your pregnancy. You're nigh unto birth. The last thing you want to do is walk 100 miles. Come on. Think about it. It doesn't make any sense. But Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph made a decision. You know, they could have criticized. They could have criticized the decision. There were a lot of Jewish people who were very critical of Caesar Augustus. They hated him. They wanted to overthrow the Roman, they wanted to overthrow the Roman government. As a matter of fact, they believed that these messianic prophecies from the Old Testament was that Jesus was going to come and overthrow Rome. Their Messiah was going to overthrow Rome. And the Israel people, the Jewish people, would once again rise up to be the nation that their father David had called them and made them be. But that wasn't what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come this first time to be their political de deliverer. Jesus came to be their spiritual deliverer. Jesus came to heal the blinded eyes. Jesus came to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. Jesus came to set the captive free. Jesus came to demolish and to destroy the power of the devil. This Jesus, this Jesus, he was born. This Joseph and Mary, they didn't criticize and they didn't complain. I don't know about you, but I was thinking this week, how many times I complained this week about circumstances in my life. I mean, you think about it. You think about the times that we complain about the weather. Friday night in our little community, we had a little clubhouse Christmas party. And we'd had some event up here at the church, and we left kind of late, and we got up to the clubhouse Christmas party around 8.30, and, and they were all winding down. And, and I just walked in, and, and they still had some cookies and stuff, so I grabbed a little plate, and I walked over to the table, and immediately this guy, let's call him Bob. Let's call him Bob. Hey, what about Bob, right? Let's call this guy Bob. Bob walks over to me and introduces himself. Didn't even get a chance to get my name out. And he immediately begins to complain, complain about the government. Complain about taxes. He came from Chicago. He was telling me the reason he came here is because they have state income tax and property taxes. And he began to tell me all the ratios and numbers. I mean, for five minutes, this guy complained. I looked at him. And I said, Merry Christmas, Bob. Turned around and walked away. Isn't it our human nature to want to complain? Complain about our government? Come on. Complain about our boss? Complain about the weather. Complain about our church. Complain about our pastor preaching too long. It's just human nature. We want to complain. But Mary and Joseph, they understood that God was at work. It was unusual the way that God was working. But they knew that God was at work in their life. I want you to hear this today. 
I want you to hear this today. God is providentially at work in your life. And the only way that you can walk through the complexities and the difficulties and the trials of your life is if you have a bigger picture. See, if you're looking at the micro of your life and just your immediate circumstance, you won't see a solution. You won't see a solution to the problems that afford themselves. And we all have them. We all have challenges. We all have problems. We all have difficulties. We all do. Everyone in this room. The moment that we are born and we breathe air into our lungs, we're born into problems. But we begin to understand that God is in control of our life. When God is sovereignly directing the course of our life for our good, we can say like Paul the Apostle said, all things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purposes. I love this. No criticism, no complaint. Paul the Apostle told the church at Philippi, he says this, listen to these words. Paul says, do everything, all things. Everyone say all do all things without complaining and arguing that you may become blameless and harmless and innocent children of God. Joseph and Mary were used by God. They accomplished God's purposes because they understood. They understood their role and their mission. The angel of the Lord had come to them and told them what was going to take place. I want you to know today, you might not always understand what God is doing, but when God is your source, and God is your provider, and God is your protector, and God is your director, and God goes before you, and behind you, and above you, and beneath you, you can know that whatever you walk through, you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and let me tell you today, you will not be burned. God is for you today. Amen. The last thing that I want you to see today is that we must make room to be used by God. We must make room to be used by God. Verse number six, the Bible says, and so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. There was no room for them in the end. But there was room for them in the cave. You know, we, we have kind of this cartoonized or fictionalized maybe version of, of what this actually looked like. You know, you see the angels and the shepherds and this little baby Jesus in a manger. When you go to Israel, they take you to Bethlehem. And you go to this place, it's actually a cave in Bethlehem, and they believe, most scholars believe that that's actually the place or very similar to the place that Jesus was, was, was born. Jesus was born in a cave. You see, the innkeeper, I think, gets a bad rap. Ladies and gentlemen, I know the innkeeper throughout human history, especially throughout church history, has gotten a bad rap that he didn't make room for him. There just was no room. A couple of thousand people had showed up in a little tiny town called Bethlehem that normally had 500 people. And let, there was no Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you folks. It doesn't work that way. A small little stone building that would have different rooms that they would rent out to travelers and people that were passing by would have no bed, would have no chair, would have no place for them to lay their head. But what there was what, but what there was was there was a cave. Think of that today. 
You see, if she would actually would have had baby Jesus inside of that little room or inside of a, uh, the end, supposedly, that there was there, but everybody would have heard her crying out Joseph's name. Everybody would have heard the pain that she was going through when she gave birth to Jesus. But because she was in this cave, she had privacy. Because she was in this cave, she was able to take this little baby and wrap him up in swaddling clothes. I wasn't even sure what swaddling clothes were, but it's, it's like cloths of linen that they would take and they would wrap these babies up really tight to give them that sense of security. Because baby Jesus was born in the cave, there was a, cr- there, there was a cradle, there was a trough, a, a, thing, a place that fed the animals for them to lay Jesus in. It wasn't the way that we see provision, but it's the way that God saw provision. And see, sometimes we have such a narrow perspective of how God can work in our life. But God's ways are not our ways. See, you have to hear today that God has provision for you. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus was teaching, and Jesus says this, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? The only thing the innkeeper had was a cave. He made room for the baby Jesus to be born. The fact is, I don't know what you have today, but all of us have the potential to make room for Jesus in our lives, to make room so that others can experience the blessing of new birth. That's the call of God on your life. That's the call of God on my life. We will never be fulfilled in this life until we've made room for Jesus to allow him to work through our lives to be a blessing to others so that others can be saved. Hear me today. In our church, many years ago, we made a decision that we were going to make room, make room for this community. And we've done lots of ministries and lots of outreaches that have made room. Several years ago, we started what we called a, an angel tree. It was an opportunity for our congregation to bless families in the community that maybe couldn't provide for themselves. I want you to see the story. I want you to hear the story of a person whose life was touched because someone made room. Check this out. My name is Ashley. Getting ready for this time of year, I always think about how I first started coming to City Church. I was about 12 years old when I first started coming here. That year, it was pretty new that my parents had just separated. My mom was still figuring out how to be a single mom and providing for three kids by herself. Financially, that was a huge struggle, especially in this time of year. Um, and. My mom's friend knew about that, so she was currently going to City Church as a regular member. And then one Sunday, she was like, hey, Tammy, which is my mom's name, you definitely need to come check out my church on this Sunday. I'm not telling you why, but it's really important, so you need to come. And my mom had no idea that her friend was doing this, but she went ahead and registered my family for an angel tree that at the airport campus we used to have a Christmas tree where people would have um, children's names of single parents of just their gender, their name, their age, and people who would want to bless a family for that year could just pick up an ornament, purchase a gift according to their age, and then they would just bring it back and um, and just bless a family for Christmas this year. Um, and so. 
Little did we know that Sunday that she invited us to was to come and receive our Christmas presents. As soon as we get here, we are completely loved from the parking lot until the end of service and we left. That Sunday, our mom let us open those gifts in the living room together. And right before I went to bed, I was really, really grateful, really thankful for the gifts, but I also knew in my heart that there was something different. There was something so much greater than just these Christmas gifts. My gift was not just the presents. My gift would be the church that I was invited to. Um, and this church has changed my life ever since then. God used this church family to bring back trust in my life from all the broken promises that I've been left with and the broken home and the broken family that I had experienced for so long, he showed me what a family was supposed to look like. He showed me what love was supposed to look like. He showed me what feeling whole was supposed to look like here through this church, and I'm so grateful. Come on. That was eight years ago. That young lady, her name is Ashley Poole. She's my assistant. She serves Pastor Joe in the Wide Open Ministry. She's actually the director of the Sunday morning. This experience, she's the one that's directing all the shots and working behind the scenes. She's right down here in the front row. Can I have Ashley Poole stand up? Come on, let's give Ashley a great big hand. We love you, Ashley. Eight years ago when someone made room, they had no idea that one little girl, her life would never be the same again. You know, we have such a small perspective. We, we plant a seed and we want to see instant fruit. Sometimes that little seed takes a long time to bear fruit. You're here today. You're here today at the sound of my voice. And the first thing, the first thing I got to deal with is someone in this room, you haven't made room for Jesus in your life yet. He's still just a story, maybe a little baby in a cradle. Here's the thing, he was born in a cave. He was born in a cave. He was put in a cradle. But he died on the cross for you and I. He made room so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. He made room in his life so that you and I could have life forevermore with him. And today you're here at the sound of my voice and you know your life isn't right with God. I want everyone to close your eyes just a moment I'm going to speak to the whole church but you're here today you know your life I just felt so strong that I was behind stage just a few moments ago before I came out I feel like there's someone in this room you know your life isn't right with God and God is calling you back to him today God is calling you to a relationship with him if you're here the sound of my voice and you know your life isn't right with God on the count of three I want you to raise your hand and then we're gonna pray with you in just a moment but right now, on the count of three, you know your life isn't right with God. But I, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, right now in this room. Anyone here today? Let's see that hand. Come on, anyone else? Let's see that hand over here. Amen. Come on. Amen. Anyone else? You know your life isn't right today. He's calling you to make room for him. Amen. Amen. Congregation, God's speaking to you about making room this Christmas, being available, being open. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you today. God will use unusual people in unusual circumstances to give you an opportunity to make room for another. I want everyone to say this prayer. Lord Jesus, come on, say, Lord Jesus, thank you 
for coming to earth 2,000 years ago, born in a cave, placed in a cradle, died on the cross so that I could have life. Come into my heart today. I make room for you to be my Lord and to be my God. Forgive me my sins from this day forward. Help me to make room for you in your wonderful name. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Let's tell the Lord that we love him today. Amen.